Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Hope everybody's doing good. Looks like the majority of the people survived the storms. A lot of people out. Maybe they, they didn't. I ain't heard about it, but maybe they got confused and thought the storms are coming today. I don't know, but there are, there's a lot of people missing today. But I know that uh, there are some people that's sick. I know some people who's got the flu. Um, I was talking last week about flu season. I said, I just skip flu season. I just wait for baseball season. Just skip that. Anyway, listen, we're going, we're going, we're going to just jump into the Word. And um, um, I want you to know a little bit today about what Seven Mile Ministry, where the name came from. I can't tell you. I have to preach it to you. And so I do that every couple years or so, and it's not always the same message or anything by any means. But nevertheless, when you leave today, you'll know what seven mile means. Amen? And so if you don't know anything about me, if you're fairly new, um, I'll give you a quick rundown. There's not much to tell, but I'm uh, 44, sneaking up on 45. I've been married, fixing me 25 years. I've got four kids. Oldest one's 20, three 15-year-olds. Um... I voted for Trump. I'm voting for him again. And I don't wear skinny jeans. And I go to work every day. And um, that's about it. So, let's jump into the Word. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 24. Starting in the 13th verse. So let me say this before I start reading here. Uh, Jesus Christ has gone to the cross. He's been raised from the dead. The women go to the tomb. He's not there. They run back and tell uh, the disciples, you know, and then Peter runs, and and sure enough, Jesus is um, not there. And then uh, that's, that's the scriptures preceding this right here. So starting in the 13th. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of uh, conversations that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, it's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb earlier astonished us and they did not find his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see then he said to them O foolish one slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses 
and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So I'm just going to stop right there. Um, and um, we're going we're gonna to go through, go through this story. We're going to go through this story right here. And I'm going I'm to start back at the beginning. Behold, two of them were traveling the same day to Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together the things which had happened. So they're walking and they're discussing what had just happened, what they had just seen, what had taken place. And can you imagine uh, the fear and just confusion and I'm not sure what's going on here and just a conversation that they're having. But they're talking about Jesus. They're definitely talking about Jesus because they're talking about you know, the things that just happened and what had just happened. Jesus Christ. He had been tied to a whipping post and beaten. Then he carries a cross down the main strip of Jerusalem and then he, he's, they hung him on it. He dies, they take him down and so they're talking about these things. You know, somebody that they had followed and kept up with and somebody that they had put their hope in, all of a sudden now he, he's gone. So they're talking about these things. In the 15th verse it says, while they converse and reason that Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. So they're, they're walking along and talking. And then all of a sudden, Jesus himself drew near. He drew near. Can I tell you, we all need him to draw near in our lives. And anytime I'm having a conversation with anybody about Jesus, immediately the atmosphere changes. You can tell things change because two or three are gathered together in my name. Two or three can get together and you can talk about a lot of things. You can talk about football. The atmosphere really doesn't change unless once for Alabama, once for Auburn, then the atmosphere may change. It may get tense. I'm talking about when two or three people get together and you start talking about Jesus, the things of God, talk, talking about the Word of God, I'm telling you immediately the atmosphere changes. It does. It changes immediately. And it says Jesus drew near. They started talking and all of a sudden here comes Jesus. You know why? When we start talking about Jesus, where two or three gather together, there He is in our midst. Well, Jesus drew near. And I can tell you we all need Him to draw near. I mean... Without him, what is it? I don't want it. I don't want this without him, without him being in it. I mean, it's a pulpit, it's a screen, it's drums, it's instruments, it's keyboards, it's guitars, it's people sitting in chairs. Without Jesus, what is it? What is it? I'm telling you, there are some churches that gather together every Sunday, and Jesus doesn't draw near. They're polished and they're well organized and they got it to the second. I'm telling you to the second. But you can't feel Jesus in the building. How do I know? Because I've been up in there before. That's how I know. I've, I've witnessed it. I've experienced it. I drove several hours to another state to a particular church that was growing and I just wanted to see what it was all about. So I drove over there and I didn't even hear the name of Jesus until... Uh, I didn't hear one scripture until the end of service. After the man preached, he gave a motivational speech. At the end of the service, he used one scripture. And when he, when he prayed, I don't even remember him praying in the name of Jesus. My wife was with me. Did he, he didn't, did he? No, he didn't. And I left there saddened because this place was huge, huge. They had classrooms, uh, first grade classroom, second grade classroom, third grade classroom. The church was so large, they had to have a building near about the size of this room just for the first grade and just for the second grade. But I don't think Jesus was in the room. 
We weren't talking about Jesus. The whole sermon was just a motivational speech. And what I'm saying is, you can have all that. You can have the bells and whistles and be polished and organized. And I said, like, you can have it on the television screen to the second. But if Jesus isn't in it, what good is it? And it happens. It happens. What I'm saying is, if Jesus is not in this, I don't want it. I don't want it. But I believe he is in it. It says, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Their eyes were restrained, and they did not know him. I've read this, man, I've read this portion of scripture so many times, looked over it and thought about it, thinking about it yesterday, but their eyes were restrained. And I don't really fully understand that exactly, but I can tell you whether Jesus restrained their eyes for one reason or another, I don't know about. I think a lot of times our eyes are restrained. Uh, what I mean by that is he's right there with you. He's got the answer right in front of your face, but you don't see him because you're clueless because you're too busy looking at the problem, too busy looking at the situation. You've lost hope. You gave up. The worst case scenarios happen, and you're just focused on the bad news. And Jesus is just right there. He's drawn near to you, but you just don't see him. He's saying, just step this way. Just walk this way. Just take a step. Just trust in me. Whatever it is, and just clueless because we're so focused on the wind and the waves. Amen. It's happened to me before, I know. After I've uh, gone through it and then you know, made it a little further down the road and like I said, looked back and realized, dang, he was there the whole time. I took this detour for absolutely no reason whatsoever at all. And you, you guys know what I'm talking about. We've all done it. But it's one, you know, just to have your spiritual eyes open and uh, not to have your eyes on the wrong thing. In the 17th verse, he said to them, What kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Well, I think this, 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 this portion of Scripture right here is a, is a, like a rare portrait on what Jesus does on um, evangelism night. You know, some churches have Friday night evangelism or Thursday night evangelism or whatever night of the week where you get to go out and you evangelize. And some of us have done it here. We've gone downtown Birmingham. I've gone out to Southside on New Year's Eve. Me and Scott went down there. Whoo! Wow. Go try that. Go down there and try to tell people Jesus loves them on New Year's Eve at Five Point South and see how many times you get rejected. A lot. About 49 times out of 50. But the one, just the one, and I'll tell you this one real quick. Me and Scott went down there. This old boy came walking down the sidewalk. We went up to him and started talking to him. And he said, he said, uh, this is a sign right here. And I said, what do you mean? He, he, he told me and Scott, he said, well, I was at home. My, my house was just right up the street. And I was reading my Bible. And he told us the story. He was reading in the Bible. I don't remember. He told us the scripture. And he said, uh, I kept hearing this music down here, though. I closed that Bible, and I, I come down here to party. And he said, you're the first person. You guys are the first people I ran into. And y'all start telling me about Jesus. He goes, that's a sign from the Lord. I'm going back home. And I was like, dude, if we didn't accomplish nothing else tonight, it was worth coming down here. But how did, how did Jesus evangelize? 
How did he evangelize? Well, first thing is right here. He says, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Well, the very first thing is he, he, he notices their emotional disposition. He notices that they're sad, that something's going on, something's wrong here, just by the look on their face. And I think so many times in life, hey, we get called up, we're so busy. Life is busy. And I'm going to tell you, it's a, it's a trick of the enemy to keep you so busy that you don't have time for anybody else. You don't even have time for your own family, much less this guy over here with his problems. He's going to have to deal with his problems himself. I got my own fair share of problems. But Jesus, he noticed how they're sad. You know, it means a lot to people. You know, you can just be into a gas station going in to buy you a drink, pay for your gas, and you can just look at somebody's face behind the counter, and you can tell somebody right. And just, just, by, just by saying, hey, are you okay? Are you all right? Just a, just a kind word, just, just anything. I, they even think that you even care enough to even ask means more to them than you even realize. Me and my grandma were eating a Cracker Barrel one time, and I noticed this girl was really sad. And she, I said, Grandma, you notice? And she goes, yeah, so, you know, something's wrong, whatever, and I can't remember what it was. So I felt like the Lord was telling, let's just leave her a really good tip. The tip was five times more than the meal. And uh, she called us before we got out of there, and she said she didn't know how she was going to uh, pay a bill, and she's a single mom with a baby, and she had prayed before she left the house. And uh, you're talking about going outside and with it, feeling like you won. Like you notice, you notice the problem, and, and, you, and the Lord put it on your heart to do something about it. Because you can always walk by somebody and go, well, good luck with that. That's not compassion. Compassion does something about it. What I'm saying is just have your spiritual eyes open. You know, and just notice somebody... Pay attention to other people other than yourself. Amen? But it was just real simple. Jesus just said, Hey man, what, why are y'all sad? Why are y'all sad? And it reminds me of a story that just happened a few weeks ago. Um, Patrick over here works with me and, and another fellow named Kevin. And me and Patrick were up on this deck and we were looking down and Kevin comes pulling up. Now I know this man well. I'm with him five days a week. Um, I probably know him too well. And um, there's some things I wish I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? It's a joke. But anyway, he gets out of the truck, and I could see on his face. I could see his face. Something was wrong. So I said, you know, I come down off those steps, and I said, what's wrong, man? What's wrong? And I went over there, and I, I said, I noticed something was wrong by the look on his face. And... Um, he, he, I mean, he was in tears. He, well, he wasn't in tears until I asked him. Then he broke down. And he said, I almost just died. I said, what in the world happened? And he was driving down the interstate, and this big piece of plastic blew off an 18-wheeler and covered his whole truck at 70 miles an hour. He can't see anything, and he's on the interstate. So, well, that'll, that'll get your attention. That'll, uh, that'll make you come to Jesus. But I noticed that he was sad. That wasn't real hard. I mean, I noticed there was something wrong with the look on his face. That really wasn't hard to notice. Uh, so that really doesn't fit into the story that well. I just wanted to tell it. So Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Well, first of all, I mean, dear Lord, 
Somebody needs to punch that guy's mama in the mouth. I mean, who would name their kid Cleopas, you know? <laughs> oh, Cleo. But Cleo says, uh, are you the only stranger in town? Have you not known the things that's happened here these days? In other words, Jesus is coming. Why are you sad? Because everybody else is sad. Because everybody else is in, in, in Jerusalem and they already know what's taking place. They're sad. The disciples are sad. The ones that follow Jesus, they're sad. And here's this guy, he's just clueless. He'll be like going into work on the Monday after Alabama lost to Auburn because they can't kick uh, the ball and everybody's in a bad mood. You'd be like, hey, what y'all in a bad mood for? And you'd be like, are you the only one that didn't, don't know? That's, I'm just making it relative to us here in Alabama. Are you the only ones that don't know? Of course Jesus knows. Of course he knows. They begin, they begin, uh, you know, walking. They begin talking. It's a seven-mile walk. He said to them, what things? The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. And right here, I want you to see this. But we were hoping... We're hoping, past tense, we're hoping. We had hope. We were hoping. We're not hoping anymore. We've lost our hope. We have lost our hope. You know, and Jesus notices they're sad. And he goes up and says, I notice you're sad. And he starts walking. He says, What's, why, why are you sad? Then they start unloading on him. They start telling him, we've lost our hope. We were hoping that he was the one. We were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But they've lost their hope. And I think, man... I reflect back on my life in growing up in church and in church now. From then to now, how many people, how many Christians, not, even, not just Christians, but just people in general that's just lost their hope, just lost hope. Things didn't go like they thought they would go and they lost hope. They had their own plans. They had dreams. They had different things. Uh, that how, how much differently they thought life would end up. But all of a sudden, life threw them a curveball and things didn't go the way they thought they would. And you just lose hope. I've been in a place before where I just lost hope. Where I didn't see any way out. I had got down in a hole so deep that you added up on a piece of paper, there's no way I can get myself out of this. I've messed up too big. I've done too much. I'm in too deep. And just kind of lost hope. Ultimately, when I got to that place in life, that's what led me to Jesus. And he just said, no, you're not too deep. And he reached out and pulled me out. Amen. But they said that we were hoping, we had hoped, we lost hope. You know, and I know things didn't go as they thought they would, and things didn't go as planned. And I think a lot of times in our life, as Christians, as believers, things don't go as planned. But let me tell you, just because things don't go as planned doesn't change this word right here. It doesn't make this word any less true. The person we were praying for, uh, things didn't go like we wanted them to go. That doesn't make this word any less true. This word's still the truth. This word's still true. God's word's still true. Yes, a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying, they had also seen a vision of angels that he, he was alive. 
And certain of those who were with us, that was the other disciples, went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. You know, Jesus walks, Jesus listens, he, he lets them talk. And having a conversation with somebody, in other words, showing somebody you care about them is not just waiting for your turn to talk. Sometimes you guys sit there and just be the sounding board. You just got to listen. People just got some stuff they want to get off their heart, off the chest, things they need to say, things they need to tell. They ain't got anybody to talk to. They've lost hope. Uh, their world's falling apart. And Jesus is just walking and just talking. He's just letting them talk. See, there's, a lot, there's too much monologue going on in the world today. There needs to be more dialogue. In other words, it needs to be both ways. You're going to listen, and I'm going to share Jesus back with you. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm not going to tell you what you should have done. I'm just going to share the word with you. But Jesus is sitting here walking with these guys. I want you to understand, he is just listening to them talk. And they're just telling him all about it, all the details and how they had lost hope and what they did. And, and seven for seven miles, that's a long way. And as we were singing, I was remembering in 2001, I um, was sitting on my dirt bike beside another guy on his dirt bike. I didn't know him real good, but I knew him good enough. And we're looking down at this track. And not that I was uh, in ministry then or not even living uh, the way that I should have then, but, uh, you know, in my... In my heart, I, I thought I was at least going to get to heaven. I thought I was going to get in by the skin of my teeth, but I, I, I planned on going. You know what I'm saying? So I looked over at him and I said, uh, have you ever thought about what would happen if you were out there and you, you died? Like if you were riding and you got killed? Um, you, you know, what would happen to you? And I was fishing a little bit and he said, are you asking me where I'd go? And I said, that's what I'm asking you. Where would you go? He said, uh, I'd go back to wherever it was that I came from. And I said, where is that? He goes, I don't know. But wherever that place is is where I think I'll be going back to. And he said, listen, don't be trying to push your beliefs on me, and I won't push my beliefs on you. And I said, okay. Well, I had to walk with him for nine years. Nine years. We became great friends. Really good buddies. And uh, he was sitting right over there where Jesse's sitting in 2010, and he accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. But it was a nine-year walk. It wasn't no seven miles. It was nine years. What I'm saying is, sometimes you got to walk with some people. Sometimes you got to spend some time with some people. Sometimes you got to listen to them. Sometimes you got to put up with some junk. Do you have the answer? Yeah, you got the answer, but they're not ready for the answer yet. You just got to keep loving them, keep walking with them, keep doing the same thing Jesus did right here on evangelism night. Amen. Amen. You know, and you, you see this scripture right here about they had lost hope. In other words, they, they're all about it. They're all about Jesus, but now we're sad, we've lost hope. And I know Christians, I meet them all the time. They say they've backslidden or they've got a friend that was backslidden. And I'll be honest with you. I went through stages in my life where I'd be on it and then I'd be off it. I'd be on it and I'd be off it. I'd be on the wagon and then I'd be off it. In other words, I'd be, and then I'd, I'd say I'm backslidden. And I'd be in the Word for a few months and I'd do something stupid and I'd say I backslid. But now I can tell you, I never backslid. 
And all those years, I never backslid one time because I, the truth of the matter is I never front slid. But one day I front slid. Let me tell you, once you front slide, you can't backslide. Rules and religion may keep you in the seat, but I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your heart. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just telling you real life experiences. You won't ever see me backslide. You tell you why? Because I front slid. I met the real Jesus, not the religious Jesus, but the Jesus that I have a personal relationship. I met him. He walked a lot of miles with me and put up with a whole lot. Amen. He's still putting up with a lot. Praise the Lord. So after he's finished listening to them talk, he says to them, O foolish ones, slow to heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now first of all, what he's saying is, why have you lost heart? You say, oh, foolish ones. He's not being ugly. He's just saying, hey, guys, man, don't be foolish. Have you forgotten what the Scripture says? Have you forgotten about all the things, all the prophets, all the prof- uh, things that were prophesied? These things had to take place. These things that had to happen. In fact, Jesus told us he was going to leave for a little while, and then he's coming back. He told us these things. Why have you lost hope? Have you forget- forgotten already? Remember what the scripture says? Remember what this word says? How many times do we do that? Need somebody to slap you across the face and go, hey, practice what you preach. My wife does it to me regular. She does. She goes, uh, okay, pastor. You know, like if somebody's driving stupid and you're like, I mean, I don't say nothing real ugly. I'd be like, get that junk off the road. She'll like, okay, pastor. Is that how pastors are supposed to talk? Is that how oh. And I'll be like, but she's right. She's right. So we went to Gatlinburg, you know, and uh, I'm not paying $20 to park. Not because I'm a cheapskate, just because I'm just, it's just stupid. There's all places to park. You just got to find one, right? So she likes to go by the rules, and um, I don't. So I call it trespassing. It's a cross between trespassing and no parking. You just trespass. And anyway, I found this church and it said uh, parking for church members only. There we go. <laughs> I'm a member of the church. So she said, well, what if they tow us? And, I, and anyway, she didn't want us to park there. She's, she, like I said, she wants to stick to all the rules. And I'm like, come on. So I go up to the front door of the church like, it's like 7.30 a.m. We're going to eat breakfast. And I knocked on it, literally knocked on it. And nobody came. And I said, well, I parked here at the church to see the pastor. But he's not here. So we'll kill some time and we'll go eat some breakfast and shop and come back and see if he's back. Sounds legit, doesn't it? So anyway... How did I get off on that anyway? I don't remember what led me there. Um, but he's, he's reminding them, he, you know, he, he's unloading these scriptures, and I notice here in the 27th, he says, the things concerning himself. 
Jesus is telling them about Jesus even though they don't know it's Jesus. But he's telling them things concerning himself. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, and, and give them a list of rules or point out everything they're doing wrong or give them a list of things they need to do. All he did was open up the scripture and talk about the things concerning himself. All he did was show them Jesus. That's what he did. On his evangelism outing, that's what we're supposed to do every day of our life to show people Jesus. You don't open up the Scripture and show everybody what they're doing wrong and how they're messing up and all their shortcomings. You just show them Jesus. Just show them Jesus. Amen? Jesus shared Jesus. I think that's, that's cool. It says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. This is where it gets a little awkward, I think. They've been walking together for seven miles. They've been talking. He's been ministering to them, loving on them, if you will. And now it says he indicated that he would have gone farther, that he would have just kept going on past the city. But then they said, no, they didn't want him to leave. They constrained him. See... Um, men and women are, are, are a lot different right here in this area. You, you're two dudes you just met, and they're wanting you to come and stay over at their house. That's weird. I mean, it, it is. And especially in their culture, it's even more weird. You know, girls will be out there in the hallway. You'll be at a restaurant eating, with, and they'll, they'll look across the table and go, uh, I'm going to the bathroom. You want to go with me? And they get up and go together. Some dude looks across there and says, Hey, I'm going to the bathroom. You want to go? You're going to punch him in the mouth. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's a little weird. But you know what? Let me tell you something. Once you've experienced that, once you've experienced that, it's like being in a service when the Spirit's moving, things are going on. You don't want it to end. You don't want to quit. You start talking to people about Jesus, sometimes you can just be having a conversation with somebody about Jesus and about the things of the Lord, and time just flies right on by, and you don't want to quit. You get caught up. You just want to keep on going. You don't want, you don't want that feeling to ever leave you. If you've ever uh, ministered or done anything under anointing and felt an anointing, you don't want it to leave. You don't want it to quit. You don't want it to stop. Let me tell you, they've been walking with Jesus. He's been talking to them. Can you imagine that sermon? And they, yeah, they constrained him. They didn't want him to leave. They wanted him to stay with them. They're like, come on in. You know, we'll whip up some... Some hummus and some flatbread. Just come stay with us. And it's, that, was a, that was a joke. But it says, It came to pass, and he sat at the table with them, and he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave, gave it to them. He sat at the table with them. He sat at the table with them. He sat at their table with them. How many times... How many times do you just sit at the table with your own little clique, your own little group, the people you feel comfortable with, the people that you know nothing awkward is going to happen, nothing weird is going to happen, nothing that's going to make you feel uncomfortable? In other words, Jesus went and sat at their table. He didn't wait for them to come and sit at his table. He went and sat at their table. I think you need to wrap our minds around that. Sometimes you need to go sit at their table. There's people sitting at their table all alone. And you need to go sit at their table. You need to go talk to them. You need to just go be their friend. That's all he was doing. He went in and sat at their table. 
And he's not in control of what happens at at their table because this is their house. This is their table. You know, and I'm not talking about going in to, uh, for example, one time I was invited to go to watch a fight. And I knew for a fact when I got to this place, I would be the only person there that wasn't uh, drinking alcohol. I knew that. Well, I went anyway. And I went, I went there. I went to their table. Am I saying everybody needs to go start hanging out at the bars and all that? I'm not talking about becoming unequally yoked with somebody. I'm just talking about carrying some light into the darkness. I'm just talking about going and sitting at their table. Because when you sit at a table full of people like that that are living worldly and they see somebody different come in, they see something that's different about you, they like it, they're drawn to it, they want some of it. What's different about that guy? And I'm not talking about just the drinking part. You know, I don't drink because I'm on call 24-7. Do you want your doctor operating on you drunk? All right. Well, I'm on call 24-7. You call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. You want me to come pray for your kid at the hospital if I'm tanked up? No. Wouldn't be a good idea, would it? I'm just talking about, I don't want you to misunderstand me when I say go sit at their table and say I'm uh, promoting going and out into the world and doing those things. No, I'm talking about, I am talking about going out into the world but not being part of the world. He called us out from the world and said to be ye separate, but he did say carry light into the darkness. So the ministry is about, you know, sitting at other people's table. Sometimes it does get a little uncomfortable. You know, we don't have Sunday night service and I'll tell you why. Because I think everybody in here needs to put this scripture into, into practice. You need to go sit at somebody's table. You need to go see somebody. You need to go visit somebody. Like, there's somebody you know that's on your list of friends and family that's going to hell. There's somebody that's on your list of friends and family that's in turmoil right now. And their life's absolutely terrible. It's been turned upside down. They don't know anything about no peace. Their marriage is a wreck. They're sick, whatever. Guess what? Go sit at their table. Go visit with them. Carry some Jesus to them. So we could come here every Sunday and just hope that they all come to us. And I know it happens. People drive by and the Lord says, turn in here and come here. Or people are new to the area and they're looking for a church. I know that that happens. But how many more times does it happen when you go sit down at their table, befriend them, because that's what Jesus says, He befriended them, and then invite them? Man, that's what the church is about. To go sit at their table. Are y'all with me? Then their eyes were open. It says, let me back up. He sat at the table with them. He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave to them. He took the bread, he broke it, he blessed it, he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, did our heart not burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Well, you know, there's a lot you can gather out of him breaking that bread. But, you know, he broke the bread at the Last Supper and he gave them the bread. He said, this is my body. Partake of this body. My body is going to be broken for you. This is salvation right here. And um, I picture them sitting at that table and Jesus reaching out there and grabbing that bread and breaking it and handing it, handing it over to them. First of all, with two hands with big nail holes in them. 
And then their mind had to go back immediately to the Last Supper. And the other disciples probably told everybody about how he broke the bread and the wine and gave them the wine for the blood and the bread for the body. And their minds immediately went back to that. But they saw him, they saw him break it and he gave it to them. With their own eyes, they saw him break it and give it to them. They experienced it. And I was thinking to myself about growing up and hearing about Jesus going to the cross and hearing about Jesus, how much he loved me and hearing about how Jesus saved me and hearing about how Jesus healed me and hearing about how Jesus did all these things. I heard about all of it. But let me tell you something. Something changed when I saw it from my own, uh, with my own eyes. I saw it from myself. When I, when I sought the Lord, when He came and sat at my table because I invited Him into my house, and I did. I was sitting in my kitchen and I said, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. And I surrendered my life to you. I didn't get saved. I didn't give my life to the Lord at a church. I did it in my kitchen. Let me tell you, He came in there and I saw the breaking of the bread. I saw salvation like I had never seen it before in my entire life. I felt the love wrap its arms around me that I had never ever experienced. And all of a sudden, the stripes on His back meant a whole lot more to me. I saw my name written in one of the scars, so to speak. And I can say... You can tell people all about it. You can tell people all about it. People can tell you all about it. But until you get to the place in life where you're basically tired or you're broke, busted, and disgusted, and you just invite him into your house and to see, see it with your own eyes, if that makes any sense to you. Because it's not a religious thing. It's a relationship thing. And he doesn't kick the door in. He doesn't barge in. He doesn't make you do it. Just like in this entire story right here, how he starts off just going, Hey guys, what's going on? I notice you're sad. And they begin talking to him. And he's walking for seven miles. Down the road for seven miles, just listening, just being a friend. And then he starts sharing Jesus with them. I mean, that's Christianity. We're supposed to get outside these walls. I hope that the only time people know that we're a Christian is not on Sunday. I hope they know you're a Christian as soon as you walk in your office at work. Or walk into a gas station. Amen. And then this, I think this is interesting in the 32nd verse. Did our heart, did our heart burn within us while he talked? Did our heart not burn with us? Our hearts were burning while he was talking to us. And you know what? He was sharing with them the Word of God. He was sharing Jesus with them. And there's nothing else that's going to change a man's heart. There's nothing else that's going to burn a man's heart except the Word of God. Like I said, you can give them a list of rules and regulations and you can beat them over the head. That's not going to change anybody's heart. What's going to change their heart is getting the Word of God in them and telling them the Word of God and preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God and living the Word of God. Just your life be the living Word of God. When people see you, they see a Bible because that may be the only Bible they ever read is reading your life and how you conduct yourself, what you say, what you don't say, what you do for people, how you help people, how you put other people first, how you recognize that they're sad, how you listen to them, how you actually care about them and share the Word with them. That's what's going to change a man's heart. There ain't nothing else going to change a man's heart. Amen. In Matthew, and I'm going to close with this scripture right here. I usually preach a while. I told my wife last night, I said, 
I'm only going to preach about 30 minutes tomorrow. We kid around every week about this because she says you'll, you'll, she's like, I guarantee you'll go an hour. But not that I'm timing it and I don't time it. I mean, a lot of times I need a calendar up there rather than a clock, so I know it's Monday to quit. we got to go to work. But Going and sitting at somebody else's table. In Matthew, the fifth chapter and the 13th verse. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and be trampled on underfoot by man. I was rolling this story around in my mind yesterday about going and sitting at other people's table. We were sitting at Cracker Barrel. We were eating, and me and my wife alone. And we pull out of Cracker Barrel, and we start driving up the road. And I started thinking about sitting at other people's table, about carrying it to them, carrying the Word to them, carrying Jesus to them, carrying it to them. Carry it to the baseball game with you. Carry it to the basketball. Carry it to the football. Carry it to the race. Just carry it wherever you go. Carry it. Carry it with you. You can do it. I know for a fact you can do it because I've done it personally. I started racing a motorcycle, and then I started carrying Jesus to the motorcycle races. I've led way more people to the Lord out in the woods than I have in a building. I quit, I quit counting at 500. It's probably around 1,000 by now. That ain't no lie. One time there was a cop working the race one time and he was leaned up against the car because he was working. And he was just leaned up against the car listening uh, t- to me preach and the dude got saved. I'm just saying you just don't ever know. You don't ever know. Ambulance drivers. I've seen ambulance drivers give their life to the Lord at the race. That's the truth. You can carry him wherever you go. You just got to be bold enough to open that mouth up. Salt of the earth, but the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? What good is it? If you've got this salt shaker, and I was shaking that salt on my breakfast yesterday, and uh, I ate all mine, and, and, and Jackie didn't like her, so I ate hers. And then the waitress came, and she said, said uh, you tore yours up talking to her because I raked her, all hers off her plate onto my plate. I thought it was so funny. She thought she done ate all that, but it was me. Now, I was thinking about that salt shaker. My eggs needed some salt. A lot of times your meat needs salt. Your fries need salt. Something needs some salt. But what good is the salt in the shaker? We're all salt shakers. It says we're the salt of the earth. That's you and I. You are the salt of the earth. But the salt loses its flavor. If the salt doesn't ever make it out of the shaker, what good is it? Now, I was leaving Cracker Barrel. She don't even know this. I started singing a song. Driving under the interstate I-65, I started singing, shake, 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 shake your booty. And she don't even know why I was singing. The reason I was singing that is because I was thinking about that's what we need to be doing. We need to be shake, 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 shaking some salt out, walking up into some other people's tables, into their lives, into their problems, lending an ear, sharing Jesus, and just shaking some salt out. Just shaking some salt out. Amen. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city that's been set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your lights shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Hey, 
I'm talking about carrying some light up into some dark places. That's all I'm talking about doing. There's darkness around. This world we live in is a dark place. In case you haven't noticed, it's a dark place. But there's a whole lot of light sitting in this room. There's a whole lot of light in this world. Every Christian in here has got Jesus on the inside of them. has got the light on the inside of them. But what good is the light going to do if you don't carry it into the darkness? We can go out here and shoot fireworks in the broad daylight. Not that big of a deal. But if you come back about 10 o'clock tonight and let's shoot them off, then all of a sudden it lights it up, don't it? There's a difference. What's the difference? Darkness. And what I'm saying is we can all sit in here where it feels real comfy, all of us little light bulbs all together, all of us little short sakers all together right here, and it's real comfortable. But that's not what it's about. It's about getting outside of these walls and shaking a little salt and, and shining a little light. Amen? So you want to know what Seven Mile Ministry is? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Going and sitting at their table. Going and walking seven miles. Going nine years, ten years, whatever it takes. Don't give up on people. If you give up on them, you never believed in them to begin with. Because you don't quit on something you believe in. Not you truly believe in. Amen. And just share Jesus. Just like Jonathan said when he first got up here, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. In fact, let's hit the whole praise team up here. Let's close with the song, There's Power in the Name of Jesus. And that's why we go out and shake salt. That's why we go out and shine light. That's why we go out and sit at other people's table because there's power in the name of Jesus. We go out and share Jesus because that's the only thing that'll change them. That's the only thing that'll heal them. That's the only thing that'll draw them in is Jesus. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. There ain't no power in your name. There ain't no power in the president's name. There ain't no power in the coach's name. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what's this mean for you? Well, a couple different things. One, maybe you're like those two disciples that were walking and had lost hope. Well, where do they find their hope? In Jesus. They talked to him. He responded. Then they invited him to, into their home. A lot of people keep Jesus out in the barn. They're not stupid enough to send him on down the road. But they don't ever bring him up in the house because you're afraid what he's going to see you watching on the television perhaps. So you just keep him out in the barn. Well, I'm telling you this morning is you need to invite him on up in your house. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Seven Mile Ministry. 